This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome back to the show, where we talk about shows with our friends. Today's episode is Dark Matter, a sci-fi show that was chosen by Eli. So Eli, what episodes are we talking about? We are talking about two and three, the episodes not to be confused with the characters. Right. Or the seasons. (laughs) Definitely the episodes. And wow, two and three pretty important episodes generally when you're watching a new TV show. And these were certainly very, very interesting two episodes. Very different. Mm -hmm. And uh, full of all kinds of stuff. If I had, can I sum up the two for you in just a couple words? Okay. So episode two. For me, action-packed. Action. Yeah. Episode three, suspense. Mm. Thriller. Mystery was the big word that kept coming to mind. I was like, oh my God, how many mysteries, how many things can they throw at me that I just don't know what's going to happen here? And, (laughs) And it was cool. We talk about, we've talked about shows sort of having different kinds of structures mini capers i feel like is a phrase that's been coined by this podcast right perhaps in the history of time and i feel like that in the first three episodes of dark matter they've really they've explored the sci-fi genre they've come at it in a very fresh new way and they've really brought some different energies i wouldn't necessarily call them mini capers but you probably could Mm-hmm. Um, especially between two and three, just in the sort of missions of both being very different. Definitely. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they could definitely be called mini capers. They're stories, you know, within the episode that get some sort of resolution or at least a complete arc to some degree, right? So in yeah. two, we get the continuation of one in many ways. And yet, we know, kind of coming out of one, they're going to have to deal with this situation where they are now caught between a planet and a hard force, a rock and a hard place. (laughs) (laughs) And they have to make these decisions with this, you know, just bomb dropped on them at the end of the pilot. And that is a very different dynamic in uh, just sort of the action and plot than three. And I think it's interesting, you know, you observed some different things about uh, the settings and um, the way, you know, one was shot. We sort of get a good, uh, between two and three, we get a good range of, uh, of sort of action and new location and then, back on the ship, 
deeper into the ship's mysteries, deeper mm-hmm. into the ship's hidden compartments, right? Especially yeah, three. Yeah, three. Totally. So three was really all about the ship and the mysteries of the ship and what is going on and who's the saboteur and what is happening. Is it being sabotaged? Is it happening? Yeah. And, and two, two was very much about the, the world outside of the ship, right? Yep. The, what was happening specifically on the planet, but also within the politics of this space world. We got right. a real, some creepy, I got some, I caught some real empire vibes yep. in in episode two and I quite enjoyed the negotiation slash scenes with these, these companies, right? They're calling them corporations. Sort of yeah. Corporations. Yeah. That's yeah. even creepier of a way. Yeah. Corporation just is a creepy negative <laughs> word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's fascinating is we're introduced, uh, you know, at the end of two, to this idea that it is not one almighty imperial space force necessarily. There Mm. are multiple powerful entities and corporations, right? So um, our captain, uh, number two, our leader, self-appointed leader, um, brokers this uh, interesting deal, right? And um, everyone thinks she's left them for dead. Um, No, she comes back with a solution to the problem. And that I think is fascinating that, you know, final, well, maybe not final scene of the episode, but final sort of scene about the conflict where she's like, may I introduce you to, and there's these two powerful people there, one of whom is a woman, right? Um, Which I thought was interesting. And it's called the Mikkei Combine, I believe. Uh, Definitely very like uh, Asian sounding, um, there's, you, you got me. I can barely remember who is two and three <laughs> and four and five and six. And this. <laughs> I think it's just fascinating because they, in you know the scant details of their world, and one we do infer this sort of rebel versus you know almost empire um, Star Wars esque dynamic. But in two, we learn that's not it's not one almighty, all-powerful corporation against one rebel force, per se. It's multiple corporations, multiple forces, and seemingly a grayscale of, you know, what they're doing, what they're willing to do. Um, It's it's an original twist. You know, almost the miners or the rebel, quote-unquote, characters are kind of caught in the middle, mm -hmm. almost used as pawns and, and sort of... Right. Play pieces for these larger corporations. Now that we're kind of talking about it, I do think one and two, episode one and two of season one of Dark Matter really do work in tandem. It's almost like a little movie. And I think about it mostly with that father character, the miner who was like the leader. Right. And we sort of see the whole arc of his rebellion and then life. And he's sort of the one that was sacrificed in episode two. And that was... You know, I, I have to say, like, the show sort of succeeds or or a film or a um, piece of, you know, movie or a TV show succeeds when someone is killed off that you're like, oh, I liked that guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, um, totally. And it of course, had to be him because they didn't want to kill off the daughter. Yeah. Because she had to have that moment 
<laughs> um, yeah, I think it's interesting too to think about now. Here we are talking about a new show, and once again, we're talking about episodes one and two as a continuum. And going back, not too far or for too long, but going back to The Last Man on Earth and how it was like repackaged as a double episode, I almost wonder if that would make sense with most shows that we've watched. And this one, definitely, they are almost an event that is seamless, literally, in timeline, right? And I thought that yeah. was cool and something... You don't always see, but certainly you do see. I don't know uh, if there's like a name for that exactly, but you literally, if you watch them, you know, back to back, there would be sort of no break in the timeline or action. Uh, we rejoin the gang right where we left off and won. So I think it's cool to think about that and what uh, that process probably entails to really actually probably you know write plan and even shoot maybe those together right yeah yeah and they talk about or i've heard this term before when someone makes a show they make a show bible so it's the entire sort of history of the show what's going to happen on it and the most famous one was apparently the wire and the mm. one i heard the most about was that that david simon had sort of written out every facet of those five seasons into this sort of large thing so i would think for sure at least within the first season or two they and i have to say like they must have because the there's a lot of attention to detail in the production of this show um and the more it as i was watching two and three i kept thinking more about like wow they just like kind of was like good for them. They really were like, we're going to make a really high quality sci-fi show. It's going to look like you're in outer space and, and we're going to, you know, they, but so there was great attention to production design, but then also I would say the story and how they executed the mystery of when two takes off and you really do feel like the group was abandoned and then her return, you weren't, they hadn't, they had sort of teased a bit about these competing companies, but they didn't really, they kept it a surprise that, yeah, that, that she was able to go out and get, you know, these people to compete and, and really stick it to this guy at the end who was playing outside the rules of their quote unquote arrangements with each other or how they operate. And she was, you know, was kind of proud of the captain, excited that she was the one calling the shots because she really played played that guy and the, the situation mm -hmm. the best way possible for her and her crew. Right. Cause it's like, yeah, why, why show allegiance to yeah. some deal a that you don't even remember because your memory was wiped. Well, that's the but thing. also B that is totally corrupt and just going to like murder people and wants no one to know about it. So like screw him and them. Sure. <laughs> and I think it is fascinating how they, um, portray, um, Two, or now we know her name is Portia Lynn. <laughs> um, two, it's interesting how they portray from the moment she's like, all right, I got to talk to this ship, right? She's like, open up comms with them. And then they 
come aboard in the very you know first moment, the way that they play and write and shoot and have her play this, where she literally has no idea, right, mm. who this is. She has no memory. So all she has is this like little, you know, thread that she's gathered. Okay, we were actually, we are the Raza. We were supposed to kill these people. Okay, so I know now what position we're in to some degree. But I have no idea who this is. I have no memory of my past life, no memory of making this deal, right? But she's right. able to play it so well. And I just thought it was like fascinating because you know that and it's still like very believable through two mm. and that what she ends up doing and even in three, some moments come up where it's like she knew about the girl having the memory dreams. Like, why didn't you tell us? Well, I wanted to confirm it's real. Like there's something about her that's like very believable because she's so focused and methodical and, um, so they represent this like just situation and memory loss through the different characters differently. And I thought two in this situation really gives us an interesting way to see, you know, how she deals with it, how two is able to still negotiate and navigate this. And it's believable, you know, in the end, I think, when she explains what she did and um, how she did it. But it definitely is. I think that the arc, the arc of these two episodes was really strong. I think it was, I think the writing on this show is good and, and of a good quality. And, and yeah, the performances, the, her performance number two is, is quite good. And there's a lot of internal stuff that she's able to kind of do in her performance that, that shows or conveys quite a bit. And there's even a moment in three, I think when the, when the cyborg is doing the lie detector test and she's like, I'm two. I thought that was kind of cool. She's not, she was just like, I'm two. Like she's not, she, she like knows whatever the computer said that she was, but she's like, I cannot be defined by that. So there's something interesting too around people are, sort of leaning into what their instincts are, right? Like someone just know the six knows how to be a pilot. And I don't know, is it four that the martial art guy is the martial art guy? I forget which number he is ultimately. Yeah, I think he's four and the yeah. um the you know type A macho guy is three, maybe, or vice okay. versa. They're three and four. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So like so the instincts, right? And I think this may have happened in three. Yeah. Because they kind of stayed in the ship, but he was when they were talking about like how do you know how to do all the martial arts stuff. So like so getting back to two in episode two, all she had was her instincts to be a cunning leader, captain, <laughs> negotiator, general almost, you know, like just sort of like the way she had to position their circumstance. It was like she was just playing chess. You know, and it, it was it was very cool to convey and again an original take on that quote unquote captain archetype, right? The the uh, Captain Kirk of of this situation, you know, and <laughs> she's it's she's not uh, like you know, a lot of what we've seen before and then also added this thing that she has no idea who she was or what her history was. She just has these natural like leadership 
and decisive tactical skills she's sort of using. Yeah. So, yeah, continues to sort of come with some fresh takes and and original kind of moments. You know, and we we've reached this sort of place in storytelling where a lot of times like how original can something be? For sure. How many sci-fi things have we seen or what, you know, so they're they're really taking into account the full spectrum of the genre mm-hmm. and medium and uh and really really delivering i mean i found the end of two to be very satisfying her coming back sticking it to the guy yeah them getting out of that seemingly super impossible situation ultimately mm-hmm. yeah um and then rolling right into three we're back into this mysterious situation right it's almost similar to the previous show in a way um sniff sniff that you didn't want to keep watching but like that the second episode was such a departure from that what was happening in the story and then you kind of get back to it or you get back to like all right what's going on with this ship right what's happening here yeah the central uh, mystery yeah and it, it really um i thought what was brought up in episode one or the pilot this sort of mystery was taken to like a mystery thriller place like so whereas we had this kind of real soap opera sci-fi pilot intro to this world then this super action-packed kind of mini movie yeah of episode two then three moved into a like psychological thriller sci-fi place that had me really being like oh my god like like it just every scene was like another mystery and another thing that i was just like oh and it's 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 trapping me in such a way that i'm like i'm like i don't know if i want to be on this ship but i can't get off until i figure it out (laughs) (laughs) yeah three has some great stuff both uh you know deepening the mystery of one in somewhat of a kind of linear manner right as they try to dig into the you know recovered or available information and then three also has these really um fascinating just i don't know if we want to call them like emotional um or interpersonal um questions and issues and it's just fascinating how already in three we're in this situation where two of these six characters virtually mutiny right yeah yeah practically Practically. Um, I mean, they do. They just aren't successful because the FTL drive has to be overridden. But the rest of the crew is like banded together around saving their android who in the first episode attacked. It's just like the way that they're able to get us tied up and into these really fascinating um, situations and conundrums and the way that they deepen in my mind the initial questions right around we talked about this a little bit last episode okay so they are allegedly these wanted you know murderous gang but they don't remember that and so how real is that how 
are they still those people? Is it to be believed, the information about them, all that stuff? Now we're kind of going deeper in three, right, into these, like, intricacies of their situation now and parts of, you know, either what remains or what is their current personality and humanity. It's just really fascinating. And they, you know, literally almost two of them almost die saving the Android. It's just like such a wild situation. Yeah. And I mean, interpersonally, they kind of break up into pairs, right? And um, for me, I found them all intriguing. Save, I didn't quite get six and the girl, like their thing wasn't, seemed just a little forced. Seemed like, okay, these two have, you know, there's no one else to connect. So yeah. they have to like be connected right now. So, and his, and, and Six's vibe, it's hard not to like him. He's like, kind of like, seems, you know, he's like, he sees, you know, so, but I'm not sure what he brings to the table that's not already within one or, you know, two other than just kind of being a pilot. So he's just like somebody else on the crew. Yeah. So I'm interested to see if, if something else emerges within him that is sort of more captivating. Um, I did think one last moment of two that I recall was around, there was a particular sequence when I think it was, they were, so the alpha guy or somebody was referencing like, you know, there's something on this ship that can't be trusted or someone here is like, uh, is, you know, working against us or something. And there was, there was a sequence where they sort of alluded to this bad element and then it cut to the cyborg in the ship. There was a bit of like foreshadowing of the ship kind of being a dark entity or perhaps the bad guy, a bad guy in this. And that going into three sort of kept me guessing about the cyborg, about the ship, about... I've just been I, like throughout three because it was just so mysterious the whole episode and lived in this thriller place. There was nothing that the cyborg did that I was like totally comfortable with or anything that she said or like right. I felt like the alpha guy where I was like, I don't trust you. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in a way, like I kind of like got him his paranoia about her, like because it is sort of like, well, someone could have wiped everyone's memory. Yeah, it could have been the ship. Right. And no one's talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they do kind of get us through that in three, right? And I feel like at the end of three, we kind of trust, okay, the the androids on our team, someone did wipe everyone's memory and probably their own too accidentally. And there isn't a you know, current force sabotaging things anymore, we think, right? Like the piece was actually malfunctioning. And so Mm -hmm. we do have some, I feel like, and of course, given these first three episodes, we won't count on anything, (laughs) right? Uh, Yeah, it was all broke down. And even like this sort of mutiny thread, it was about them choosing to save everyone's life versus saving the cyborg. So... Yeah, the the two like kind of rationalizes everything in that sort of final scene in a slightly quick way. And I do agree when she sure. when the cyborg saved six, 
woke up and then gave him an EKG shot. Right. Um, that was the final piece, bringing everything, her sort of being like, I'm going to go out and do this. If something happens to me, you can just press go and just leave me. Yeah. Like there was a real sacrificial sort of um, the cyborg putting itself out there on the line to sort of prove that it's not a bad bad entity for sure and that the sabotage thing but it wow what a what a what a journey to get there in just this third episode yeah took me through like all the feels yeah yeah up to the last moment and i think that it does a good job of getting us to these moments and taking us through these wild situations without getting i mean it's sci-fi so it's not based in today's reality but it doesn't in my mind, it doesn't, you know, jump the shark or even sort of get into the realm of like, okay, I just need to accept this. Like, they do get us sometimes through stuff more quickly. And even that, yeah, explanation of twos of like why they're not going to, you know, throw three and four in jail. It is a little like quick and glossed over, but at the same time, it does make sense, right? Like, they were just doing what they think is the best way to save the six humans on board. And we're not trying to endanger the lives of any of those other four humans. Right. So mm -hmm. I do think it's, it's, you know, as we were saying last episode, it's a bit of a space opera and you do have yeah. those little moments and touches and maybe it's the, you know, kisses here and there or, uh, maybe it's this like, you know what? They were just really doing what they thought best. Like we do, totally. we do need to just the, jump, you know, or go with them yeah, on yeah. these moments. The, the sit down fireside chat between six and the girl. I was like, <laughs> I was like what is happening right now? <laughs> Did you? But yeah, it is. It is. You kind of just go with it. Yeah, you go with like, it. Yeah. Did you <laughs> notice um, in that one of the last, you know, scenes of three, when uh, one and two, when two's training, right? She's like mm. hitting the hard bag and one comes in and she's got these like obvious red loopy uh, Absolutely, I totally, right? noticed, like, I totally noticed all this random stuff. Like her bra, I was like, okay, she's got a weird like, like red feminine bra that doesn't make any sense in regards to like her character up to this point. But all right, here we go. Because this is the like, scene where there there's chemistry, right? And there's like energy and romance. Yeah. And, and then that and then honestly, like the the bartender at the end in the final scene having this like kind of swingers-esque sort of button-down bowling shirt on. I'm like, I'm like, wait. I'm like, this is the bartender of the scene? Like, I was like, wait, this guy looks like he's just somebody's neighbor in like Alberta, Canada. <laughs> Yeah, and I wonder, I really wonder, you know, we talked a little bit about genre and uh, and this and where it sort of, you know, is landing for us not being sci-fi experts. I do wonder how much of, you know, these little details are them having fun, you know, really like yeah. leaning in and having not, fun. Not taking themselves so seriously. Right? Exactly. Like, it really feels yeah. that way. And of course, we're you know burying the lead and uh, and letting it hang out. But the big big reveal once again, we get a huge ending, twist. huge twist, 
And I think, you know, might as well talk about it now since we you referenced sure. that scene. So we end three and one has a doppelganger. Yeah, question marks <laughs> abound. Uh, evil twin, doppelganger, right. clone. I mean, who, right. like, like original bad guy? Like, who is a human being? Like, yeah, we've known this. Everything's on the table. Everything's on the we table don't know. now. But I will, <laughs> I will. I do have to backtrack to the to the scene between one and two in the workout quickly because the other part of that that was really sort of amusing to me was just like she's like let me get a spot and he's like sure and he goes up and they like he like positions himself with her in such a like weird way to spot somebody where they're just kind of like on top of each other like clearly about to kiss like it's like I thought to myself like if I'm spotting someone doing sit-ups then you just you know you kind of like kneel down and you put your feet on their ankles ultimately but it was it was that the tropes that that you enter with this situation it does kind of in a way takes you out of it but also sort of allows you to be in it in a way that's less sort of intense or invested or serious yeah. right and so that then when she's doing the the setups and then you really see the kind of red bra and then it's just like, Ooh, it's sexy time. Like, you know, I think for sure, like they're indicating th these things. And then in that final scene, there's CD space bar and like this big reveal. And like, it's not even that he's a doppelganger. It's that his hair is darker. He's got like mascara. Like he's like, weird sketchy club version of this guy <laughs> no like, he does so... look really funny like it's obviously <laughs> yeah. you know the same actor right and, yeah uh, but and he introduces he says his name is jace corso right yeah um so yeah what's going on we don't know evil twin but yeah it is funny how they like they distinguish him by just like it looks like they just took like um eye black from sports and just <laughs> yeah. like oh here and here <laughs> it is really funny yeah like mm, they like, made him like this like like evil club version of himself <laughs> like, like druggy evil, like, goth version of goth. One. that was it yeah i'm sorry that was a, that was the word i was missing but that's exactly right where well, like there was a you know there's an there's an evil version or a bizarro version that you can yeah. do that would be like five o'clock shadow or beard yeah with like a weird trench coat you know, weapon or whatever, but like they went in this other creepy place and they're really, they're really turning the screws in every, on every door that they open here within this genre, I think. And it's, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to go all the way yeah. with this and all the, you know, whatever direction you're going to go in, just go hundred percent. Like, and that the, the cyborg is so cyborgy. You know, there's no moment. <laughs> All her stuff is about efficient and like, yeah. you know, when she's when she was like, what is it at the end of that third episode where she's like reading off the menu for the breakfast the next yeah. time? The alpha guy just loses it. It's like, what are you doing? Like, it definitely adds to the tone of they, they keep it light. I felt like three, as much as it was like thriller mystery vibe, they did, there was an element of trying to keep it funny and fun and like we're talking about not take itself too seriously so given that it was able to be so suspenseful and thrilling mm -hmm. is interesting like yeah a, a bit of an achievement yeah and now there's 
I mean, they do a good job of of uh, keeping us interested, of stoking the fire, and as we were talking about earlier, you know, there's episodic arc, mini caper, um, and certainly this bigger, just evolving arc. And I think that also serves the show really well. And they're able to, story-wise, and, you know, we talked about a little bit last time how it's, there's obvious commercial breaks still, you know, and yeah. watching this, right? So that structure and... Yeah, I have, uh, I think it's safe to say I have not found a lot of shows that are able to do what this show does, which is big picture, you know, arc and really intriguing story and sort of really intriguing questions posed from the pilot. And yet each episode does feel like its own journey and story. Um, they're leaning into fun uh, genre and related stuff and yet keeping it pretty real and suspenseful. And I do think it is heartwarming and it's just funny how this like all happens, but it is really like heartwarming and even in that final scene of the android announcing everything and the alpha guy telling her you know to shut up um it's heartwarming the relationships that are already forming and even with the android and through that experience of like going out risking their own lives to save this android i think already now at the end of three we're getting this like kind of almost heartwarming like feeling about the gang like they really do care about each other and it seems at this point like they are now gonna go forward figuring out more and more together to some degree you know there's pairings there's tensions but i feel like at the end of three we're starting to get that like oh look at that look at that crew they they actually do have some common ground yeah, they've they've been in a battle together. They've they've navigated different scenarios, and two came together for them. And them having the cyborg is so important. So that those two guys could probably realize that they made a mistake ultimately at that point. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of bad vibes. You know, they want don't want like revenge or action against that situation. Yeah, and. You know, I think the show visually is cool and these cuts at times, especially in the third episode to the outside of the ship in space are very cool. And I would say the only part of it that's like kind of like limiting is they can't go like all the way with that. So like the when the cyborg went out to like fix the ship, it was very sort of designed. So there's that initial shot where you could see the electricity, right? But then she gets right down into what is essentially like a set piece. Like you lose a bit of like the expansiveness of space. Like that for me would have been a little cool, but it's probably too much to ask for a show of this nature and, and size, you know, to sort of have her fix that with like space, you know, the vastness of space behind her and the, right. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of feelings that that would create, um, Mm-hmm. visually and then those guys going out getting her you know take 
disengage, disengaging her magnetic boots with like all of space behind them. You know, it was just like, it was sort of boxed into the structure of like, this is a TV yeah. show from the sci-fi network moment. And they have to have four wall, you know, three walls around them. Right. You know, right now. It actually reminded me of, um, star Wars. Um, when, right. they, you know, when they're like, I think it's actually, they're flying like in a channel of the Imperial ship. Totally. Right. The vastness of the big starships. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And it really like, yeah, it called into mind that. And, but yeah, it does make you just wonder if that's uh, technical, you know, logistical. Um, right. The choice. ship and space probably looks better when it's just done in the computer in the special effects program versus if you have a human being out there on a green screen, you, you're probably losing something there. I would think so, yeah. yeah. But it is interesting, and you brought up just those like exterior you know, shots and how they, you know, this is something that any running you know, sci-fi show that lasts more than <laughs> an episode or two needs to represent generally is mm. how do you show the ship exterior, how do you show it flying, and then how do you show what in this show show in this show is called FTL, right? Which right, is this right. like light speed, hyperspeed. There's always like a different name. But it's also in pretty much every show and, you know, movie world of yeah. sci-fi this exists. There's a version of this. Ludicrous speed. Exactly. Spaceballs. We're going to hyperactive. <laughs> that's what he calls it in uh, Spaceballs. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's fascinating, those things, those tropes that... Um, like you, you don't have to explain what FTL. You know, they don't have like you don't have to even say the acronym if there is one. It doesn't matter. Like we know what this is, right? And oh, totally. When it breaks down and there's an issue with it, and it could be dangerous. There's a seventy percent chance of of it crashing. We're just floating out here. The FTL drive FTL is down. failing. You're like, I know exactly what that is. I, I wouldn't want to take those odds. No. If I was going to jump into hyperspace, I want a hundred percent odds that everything was going to be safe when we <laughs> right? drop out we're going to be in a safe space so yeah i think it's cool and they do show that you know a couple times like so they have the like this is the ship in space then like this is it going in and out of ftl and then in that you know this final kind of drama of three in the outside there's the lightning storm right so mm -hmm. They do have some cool visual stuff and um, they sort of have to represent these basic elements. But I think it seems pretty clear that they don't like have the capacity or budget to do too much else, at least yet. Um, and that's fine. And just given that or, or in, you know, taking that into uh, context and into account, thinking about this show... When you think about three and how much of it is in what's now like a pretty established ship, right? Mm. Um, it's it's pretty cool what they're able to do within that, right? Like the set's pretty tight. Um, it's pretty like this is a spaceship. This is what sci-fi looks like. Uh, it's shot pretty dark as a lot yeah. of, you know, this genre is. And yet I feel like they don't like it doesn't get boring or um sort of you know rote or 
um, drab. Like it's still exciting and interesting. Like they really do a good job of because it's clear we're like <laughs> this is where we're going to spend most of our time, right? It definitely doesn't get boring. They just they kept throwing the kitchen sink and there's a dead kid and then later on there's a gun that's found. I mean, it's just they keep like unraveling this weird situation that is this ship. Right. And there's an area of which we have no idea what's behind this like secure door. And no, like, oh, I think it's funny that no one else knows about the door yet either. It's like this ship is just yeah. massive and they don't have the sort of like time and capacity because they're just figuring out everything out and surviving to explore the whole thing collectively. And so there's, yeah, there's just hidden pockets and rooms and stuff going on. It's, it's, uh, it's like a sort of ever expanding world. It's like, um, Hermione's bag and Harry Potter. It's like, (laughs) you you don't, you haven't seen the bottom yet. (laughs) Yeah. And this evolving, I would say this sort of distrust or the evolving, or journey to trust within themselves as a crew. Like the guy, the alpha guy with the door takes it to the martial arts guy, whatever, three and four, and doesn't talk to the robot, the cyborg about it, ask her about it, yeah. take her there. He doesn't trust her, doesn't trust anybody else. So it's just, it's sort of like these, like you're saying, like, yeah, these secret pockets. And I think I could certainly understand and, whether or not it's fair or not to bring up sort of production value can't you can't quite compare it to a large feature film that is just about showing the expansive space or that's just like a major element within two hours with a massive massive budget for that short amount of time i'm not quite as up on the more modern star trek shows i think there's a few right there's like discovery and picard and so I'm, I'm, I'd be curious in a sense to mm. see kind of what they do, you know, what, what's being done. But this, this existed a few years, um, even whether at the same time or even a few years before those happened. So I, I will say that the, the production, when they are showing space, they're showing the ships, they're showing the space station at the end where they're headed with the, the bar. Like those, those um, what they call like establishing shots, right? Like are all like lovely, like beautiful, look great on the TV, like yeah. just just sort of really get you into absolutely this world 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and so my stuff is kind of nitpicky like, oh, I'd like to see them, you know, like whatever, like For sure. And I think that would be cool and it would essentially add to the division between these like, you know, beautiful, expansive large frame shots and then the action which mostly takes place in rooms on the ship um and there isn't a lot of interplay between that yet and maybe there just isn't because of the cost and production value but uh who knows i think you know we get a sense from these first three of the world they're existing in to some degree and as we've said it's also referencing, borrowing upon, building on existing, um, you know, tropes and genre pieces. So I think it's safe to assume as we're like heading towards this space station with a evil twin of, you know, one, something going on, but also just that this world is like a 
many, many, many planets and space stations and probably many solar systems and an expansive world. So for now, there's sort of like beautiful exterior and then uh, are zoomed in, you know, on the ship or even on the planet. Even those shots weren't like these big outdoor, right? They like fight mm. in a warehouse. So yeah. I think it is like interesting and good to, you know, just point that out, notice these little things and see, you know, what evolves. But it does also, in my mind, sort of add to that space opera, um, really leaning in, having fun a little bit to where it's like, yeah, like we, <laughs> this isn't, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or a movie. Um, this yeah, is it's, a it's, it's, sci-fi they're, I think they're intentional. Show. They're intentional with their campiness, right? Like they, Exactly. That, that's, that her, seeing her bra is campy. Like, good cheese. Sure. It's good cheese. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, and they're not, um, yeah, they are clearly being intentional, right? Um, There's even, you know, those couple scenes where um, there's one, I forget if it's one or two, where all of the guys, like, turn and are watching to walk away. And then uh, the the scene in three where... I think it's three um, where she's walking out and faced away from one. And she's like, stop looking at my ass. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, that might've been two when he was going down. To oh yeah, yeah. 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 And two. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. But they're having fun with it and they're yeah, leaning in and, <laughs> and like I said, it's, it's, I think it's a quite a balancing act to have these elements, but not have it just be soap opera, have it just be, mm-hmm cheesy overall like the the intense the mystery the uh moments you know that are the central sort of action um these questions these moral questions still feel real and serious too and that i think is um one of the amazing things that it just really straddles this line it's it's having fun and it's going to take us on an actual mysterious eventful fun ride in outer space in outer space yeah so steve yeah i don't know if there was anything else you wanted to talk about in two and three i think we covered quite a bit there's a lot of great stuff and we covered a lot of it and we now as we always have done after the third episode are going to do a temperature check however it's a little bit of a twist as we're going to switch it up a little. And this time, instead of deciding whether or not to just keep watching episode by episode, we're going to decide if we're going to either watch the rest of season one and come back and talk about the whole remaining rest of season one or just move on to a new show. And I think, Steve, it's important to share with our listeners that uh, we wanted to really move a little quicker through shows and have fun checking out new shows and not spend quite as much time on each show. And with that, I feel like it's also less pressure on us to really like pick the best show and vice versa to like the other person's show because we're going to watch a few episodes and then maybe a few more and we're going to do two to three podcasts about each show regardless. And so 
no pressure on either of us, but Steve, this is your chance to say whether or not you'd like to finish out the first season of Dark Matter. Yeah, less pressure on us with the, this new format, less pressure on our friends out there. Right. sort of keep up with us keep up the pace given that the pressure is still sort of on me <laughs> right now in this moment and uh i won't allow our last show and what happened with eli wanting to move on from a show that i chose to affect my decision right here i'm just gonna put that out there okay and i'm going to say we should keep watching dark matter for Woo! these reasons it is a little cheesy at times but the even in those moments as we discussed, they are actually genuinely funny. The moments. Indeed. Of, the, of when it gets kind of campy. It's still funny. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Um, I want to keep watching because of the character of number two, because of the cyborg, mm. and what is going on with this dang spaceship. <laughs> and I don't know if I'll get the answer just watching season one, but I like won't be able to sort of leave it after after these three very intriguing sort of campy fun space odyssey episodes all right Woo! well that is exciting <laughs> and fun and as i said last episode i just love this combination and i just love this we don't know that much about sci-fi, so we don't even know sort of where it fits exactly in the modern canon, but it's just so fun, and it does straddle that line of campy and suspenseful and action-packed. And it has, I think, given us enough intrigue and story to you know keep, keep someone watching, and I'm excited to just watch the rest with you and, you know, see where we get. I actually, having watched all of the three seasons, I don't remember where we get exactly over the rest of this first season, but I know there's so much fun stuff still to come. And of course, on the heels of these three, you know, they're not going to let up with any of these aspects. So I do think this will be a really fun watch. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch the rest of season one. We will, you know, need a little time to catch up on these. And then we'll come back, wrap it up, and choose a new show. So I think this will be exciting. Big invitation. New format, new way to do this. So all our friends at home, we're just going to invite you to watch the rest of season one of Dark Matter. Yeah. Come back. So we can talk about it on our next episode of Shows with Friends. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. We're excited to keep sharing our favorite TV shows with you. And so we will be back as soon as we watch the rest of season one of Dark Matter, starting with episode four. Thanks for listening, y'all. Bye, friends. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we are really excited to be a part of a growing podcast network. It's called Connected Podcasts, and there are many other great shows on the network that we think you are going to enjoy. That's 
connected, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, podcasts.com. Thanks for listening.